अरे ध्रुव इफ यू वांट टू गो यू कैन गो इट्स ओके हां हां आई एम तो हेडिंग ओनली आई एम आई एम आउट यू गाइस हैव फन बाय 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 दही खा ले हां ठीक है ओके हेलो 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 वेलकम बैक टू क्वीन्स रेड आई हैव आई एम संजीत आई हैव अमरत्या वरुण पृथ्वी एंड अश्विनी विद मी द सेम गैंग एक्सेप्ट ध्रुव ध्रुव इज वाचिंग रॉकी और रानी की प्रेम कहानी इंस्टेड ऑफ रिकॉर्डिंग विद अस टर्न नोलन इंस्टेड ऑफ डिस्कसिंग ओपेनहेमर विद अस सो या मेक ऑफ इट व्हाट यू विल सो टुडे वी डिस्कस टू ऑफ नोलन्स लेफ्टओवर फिल्म्स दैट आर लेफ्ट टू बी डिस्कस्ड इन द लास्ट एंड फाइनल एपिसोड ऑफ नोलन मंथ whatever it is um we discussed dunkirk and then go to oppenheimer and um, so both films are kind of based on real life incidents and include real life people in many ways it's basically and, nolan in war nolan, nolan in war. during war yeah 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 in and different perspectives of the same event in in many ways yeah and different kind of kinds of explorations and also in many ways different ways of tackling similar subjects that have been brought on the screen before in history like how he tackled dunkirk instead of being like a typical war film as more like a survival thriller and oppenheimer instead of being a typical hagiographical biopic drama biopic more like a non linear thrilling uh, drama i would say more so as a drama than than many would have expected uh, i guess uh, initially i had I, i had no idea what the the thing was going to be about because i went completely zero so was good discovery but we we'll start with dunkirk initial thoughts what we thought and i don't know if you guys rewatched it i haven't rewatched it so my memory will be from whatever i whenever i watched it so what and what do you what do you think about uh, dunker so this was like what 6 years ago 2017 yeah 2017 yeah. uh, first day for show i was in the queue it was raining so <laughs> very very environmentally accurate to how the film is going to play out in that sense mm-hmm. but uh, Yeah, I mean, I was just sort of blown away. Apart from the fact that there was an interval, because that year, mm. I was, I didn't know what to expect, honestly, because I knew he wasn't going to do the whole uh, sort of generals and politicians mm-hmm. in white hall kind of nonsense. But mm-hmm. I certainly didn't expect what we got, and it's a, it's a very interesting thing how he puts the known faces on the back burner. and you get mm-hmm. these young largely unknown men i think barry keegan at that point had done the killing of the sacred deer Wasn't or was about to do that I, no no barry keegan sure. okay okay barry keegan had already yeah. done killing of sacred deer yeah 
so but essentially british actors aren't really as well known to us in india as american actors would be mm-hmm. so uh, that was a sort of clincher really and it was just a ride and i felt like it was also the most emotionally invested i had been in a nolan film mm-hmm. because it of course it has something to do with my background but mm-hmm. it also has something to do with the sort of very uh, natural empathy he manages to you know bring up for these guys mm-hmm. from within the audience mm-hmm. and i had not imagined a war film being like this like it's not which is what a war film tends to be like you know you've got a you've got an arc which is pre decided in a war movie but mm-hmm. here it was just you know either it was relentless action followed by a bit of calm little more little sort of you know mm-hmm. it was you know very messy in that sense but so sort of incredibly well put together mm-hmm. that you were just sort of dumbstruck by it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those were my reactions. Dunkirk, I just watched it today, and before that, I it's the same thing like mm-hmm. six years ago. I watched it in, uh, in a big screen, and just to put 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 it out here, uh, Dunkirk is my first Nolan film in theaters. So Dunkirk, mm-hmm. Tenet, Oppenheimer, o- o- only three films I have watched, and Dark mm-hmm. Knight just just got re-released in India. That mm-hmm. I that I watched in a big screen. So mm-hmm. Dunkirk for me, like I had a lot of anticipation of. watching a nolan film in a big screen you know and like uh, apart from hearing all the hype and all the spectacle that nolan has created throughout these years it kind of created a certain kind of anticipation for me so i was like okay let's i, I had my own set of interpretations but then the theater where i watched dunkirk was it was showing in a very uh, small cubicle it's like a rectangle inside a rectangle screen the yeah. letter bo- so the letter really, yeah. yes yes so basically they they uh, didn't uh, they weren't able to fit the aspect ratio i guess but yeah i mean <clears throat> the sound designing the cinematography everything i was in awe of it i was like is the sound too loud or is it being is it just the way nolan intended to and also mm-hmm. the narrative in during that time i was smitten by all of this nolan's gimmicks now so i was like i wasn't that much smitten by the narrative gimmick of it uh because the network narrative just worked out to me as for me a guy who back in 2017 who just watched interstellar rewatched interstellar loved it inception was mm-hmm. completely love of inception at that time dunkirk was kind of a mid movie for me i was like okay this is a war movie they are not uh, doing a proper appropriation like they are not doing a uh, appropriate portrayal of warfare like uh, saving private ryan or hexo rich mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. but they were showing some fragments of it they are more showing the internal conflicts of it so it was like it was a mid movie for me it was like that i didn't appreciate and always when we talk about nolan we don't really mention this film because of lack of big names well it, it is essentially it's a british movie it's not really with mm-hmm. it doesn't really involve any kind of american or any of the american essence it holds to other films so for me mm-hmm. and now when i when i rewatch and whenever certain reels used to you know show up on uh Uh, whenever i used to look up on social media the the entire the, the, that kind of uh, made me feel that like maybe i have misjudged this movie or maybe i i was a bit too harsh on that but then again i think nolan didn't really want to focus more on the uh, the visual uh, aesthetics of it rather than showing just mm-hmm. internal fragments 
of an ensemble, not a character analysis as I uh, wrote it on my review today as well. It's not like a uh, character analysis like Oppenheimer or a visual uh, spectacle like Interstellar. It was just a retelling of what the soldiers felt just for mm-hmm. those crucial few hours of like survival and death just hanging in between mm-hmm. there. I think Nolan just wanted just wanted to show that and now when I understand what Nolan's intentions, I think that uh, came out to be like quite moving for me. Like just to show that how these guys survived, just to show that process as well. I think the entire movie Dunkirk was a procedure of this uh, entire emotions and their the survival instincts. So mm-hmm. for me, when I when I looked at Dunkirk at that way, when I watched, when I interpreted Dunkirk in that way that it it moved me a lot it moved me a lot also that the the scene at the end when the uh, old man is saying that you survived that's all you and it turns yeah. out that guy is blind that actually made me emotional i that scene actually made me emotional when i watched in theater as well but now uh, when the uh, when i understand the gravitas of the movie more than uh, like more than the first time now it it just evokes a lot more emotions than in me than the first time. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that's it for from my side. Amartya. So <laughs> why I why I called out the letterbox thing is because I had the same experience while watching Dunkirk in the theater. I don't thing, think yeah. Any, yeah, I don't think anybody anybody got aspect ratio entirely right. Nobody saw the movie Nolan intended it to be. So. That is sad, uh, but I but I think if that is the only fault this movie has and that is its presentation, I can still accept that because other than that, this movie is a war film without following each of the cliches you are you are supposed to see in a war film. Mm-hmm. You know, like, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, it's a very very. I am going to be. I am going to be so. I am going to be such a a hole here, but you know. This is not Sunday Se Sunday Se you know? This is not that. This is not border. This is not saving private Ryan. You know, this is huh. and I'm not saying at all that those movies are bad or you know, character exploration of each of these soldiers, what they are thinking, what they're going through is bad. That's a storytelling choice. Mm. And those when they work, they work very well. Saving Private Ryan, it works. Hacksaw through the perspective of Andrew Garfield's character, it works. I think, mm-hmm. but like I'll, I'll just uh, quickly jump in here because uh, this was very interesting to say that Dunkirk, uh, Nolan is trying to avoid the conventional tropes of a uh, war or anti-war drama, which are typically made in Hollywood. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, this is one thing that he has been doing it for almost all his films. You know, yeah, yeah. It's not it's not just uh-huh. the non-linearity of the edit, but like yeah, yeah, exactly. He picks up a very commercial genre and then he's like, hey, what you can I do in this? He's trying to make it his own. And, yeah. no, but like then again, it's not so much of an experiment because he has to... Yeah. Uh, so his experiments are limited in the sense that he's using the same conventional tropes, but he's not actually subverting them. Uh, what he's in fact doing is that he's tweaking them here and there. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And these are minor tweaks which lead to a lot of big changes. And this, I think, I didn't notice it in Dunkirk uh, first. I noticed this in Tenet first. I had this discussion with Drew also. But in Dunkirk, mm-hmm. it's very much over before you because it's not like survival war films have never been made. They have been made quite a while. 
like you mentioned, uh, Saving Private Ryan and Hacksaw, both of them are survival war films. Right? They are about survival. They are not so much about war itself. No, but this uh, is primarily a thriller. This is not this really is primary, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if it's functioning in that survival zone, primarily as a thriller, mm. right? That, that's the whole difference that in that way. Yeah, Saving yeah. Private Ryan has that adventure element because the mission. Yeah, because there's mission involved and they're going to. Yeah, the it. second. Yeah, the after the first act, after the first act, it becomes like an adventure film, right? Because they yeah. have to search for the Private Ryan. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's the. I think. I think what uh, Nolan was trying to do with Dunkirk is he was trying to show, you know, the quote-unquote theater of war, you know, mm-hmm. and I was comparing it, and I was comparing it to watching a movie itself, right? Because watching a movie in a theater is a very communal experience. You mm-hmm. know? When you are yeah. inside a theater, when the lights are off and everything, your reality is not in question. You are watching a movie. You are experiencing a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Your individuality comes after you are out of the theater. That's mm-hmm. when your opinions start forming. Nolan, I think, technically does that to this movie. He creates it as a theater of war. It's not about the individuality. It's about the soldiers as a collective whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what the soldiers itself go through. All the trauma and everything. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does to a certain degree because he tries to sprinkle in character development in couple of sections but what matters is archetypal archetypal characters signifying a specific point or genre of a of some sort mm-hmm. a soldier mm-hmm. being a rookie a soldier being a medical officer a soldier being a cook or whatever it is mm-hmm. and then showing what they go through and because Dunkirk the real event was also kind of like a rescue mission for another section that is a British mm-hmm. population so he's also showing that perspective. This is a yeah. movie all about perspective. Mm-hmm. It's a movie, a collective perspective as a whole. How how society itself, how the British society itself banded through, you know, to mm-hmm. rest people. It's ultimately a humanist effort in a way. Which is ironic considering what the war actually was, what Dunkirk actually was. And how the movie ends also is very, you know, emblematic of that because the movie ends by showing that the war doesn't end. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. still smack dab in the middle of it. It's mm-hmm. just the story of the ensemble. It's just the yeah. story of the infantry. It's just That's the story yeah. of an event within a larger theater of war. It's the story of one small fragment. Yeah. And the character is you become like that's the audience exactly. you're discovering exactly. with the just to just the to quote Benoit Blanc, it's a donut within a donut. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And it's also and also what I felt was that because the characters are so undefined in a way, uh-huh. the audience surrogate version of it, you know, some character some people might argue that that's the criticism that audience surrogate without giving characters any art. I think the audience surrogate works here because you are completely immersed. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. what and that's what he's showing through his work, Nolan, because that scene in the beach where. You know, the first soldier is lying down as the bombing is occurring each and every single time. Yeah. Bomb occurs, one one blast, two blasts, the third blast, mm-hmm. the final blast just happens just inches from him and then the dirt falls. Yeah. Also, the camera yeah. is yeah. unmoving. That mm-hmm. is immersive. Because the mm-hmm. camera being unmoving is showing you that the soldier is also unmoving. He's like stricken with fear. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what the audience is also feeling. That's what also, trying. I feel 
also i feel you know no no it's okay okay no i just i just wanted to add one thing just when i was rewatching the dunkers i was like all this when i was uh, when i omoto uh, da was seeing all these technicalities i was like oh, these all these things uh, like all quite on the western front should have taken notes from dunkirk and they could have they could have upgraded they had a brilliant story they had a brilliant uh, screenplay brilliant performances as well but in technicality i don't know it, it just fell flat and no, it should sense. have taken notes on dunkirk in on these all these immersive experiences now yeah but mm. i mean dunkirk is a film made for theaters all quiet is a film made for netflix, netflix. all quiet i think released on theaters now in the no, it had released in typical netflix it was in theaters in release. i think i think also i think also i am not I don't dislike all quite as much. I'm a. I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, I like. No, I even I don't dislike. It was like it was fine. Yeah. It was fine, just fine. But but that's the point, right? They are different films by different filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. Also, person also, who has yeah, yeah. a personality will make something. I like think. I think the bigger. Country. I think one of the much more interesting comparisons would be to compare Dunkirk with 1917 because yeah. Of I was going to say the 1970s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Any, any. No, and I mean the uh, thing is that All Quiet on the Western Front is is episodic, whereas yes. Dunkirk is about one singular. And 1917 is moment. is more like a thriller. Both both 1917, 1917 and Dunkirk, right? Dunkirk. Yeah. The the nature the of trench warfare hmm. uh, in uh, in uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, trench. affair happened in probably advancing a few meters in a day exactly it wasn't as dynamic as the battles fought in world war 2 where blitzkrieg the tactic yeah. followed by the germans paved the way for battle to become more mobilized because mm-hmm. the germans the germans took france in what a week or a 10 week. days or something like that mm-hmm. insanely quick war as opposed to uh, sort of the first world war which was the french kept pulling back and the- entrenching they were blindsided right the french yeah. they were blindsided they did not expect also i think that if you look at dunkirk i think uh, there was a criticism when i had while watching following that how much of this time playing or you know the mm-hmm. non linear how much of it worked in following for me it did not work because it was unnecessary it was just nolan trying to put his stamp in a movie which could already be hitchcock Again, first that. film you wanted to try. Yeah, yeah, different... exactly. Yeah, huh. yeah, exactly. I understand. Here, though, I think it worked very well for me because I think uh, I recently heard an order uh, argument that not even an argument; it's a statement that a movie's vitality, a movie's volatility, exists only within those two hours. Hmm. After that, a film's world is supposed to vanish, because that's mm-hmm. what a film has been constructed as. You know, mm-hmm. it is right. supposed to exist within this within that two hours. While that statement is not entirely accurate, one of the things that you can parse from the statement is that time can be manipulated in the story you are trying to tell. Mm-hmm. You know, and here, and especially in the case of other Nolan films, also it happens. Exactly. I, 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 I'm. I'm very clear. I like uh, the first film that I watched of his was Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah. The effect of just watching the whole thing and coming out of cinema was like two different halves yeah. of yeah, yeah. Uh, life. And it felt like that. So it, I guess, it's the same thing. But yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah. So I can understand why you know he's trying to make sure that you know the time is compressed for some individuals 
time is expended mm-hmm. for other individuals for mm-hmm. the people in the boat for civilians you know it's a week it, it's a day for the soldiers it's a week and for the pilots it's an pilots. hour it's an hour mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's an hour but at the end of the yeah. day they are all going towards the same point the compression or the digression all of it occurs in showing how war war is trying to evoke tension of both different types but at the end of the day it's still tension you're still going into mm-hmm. an area of high conflict mm-hmm. you know for some that high conflict will keep on repeating itself for over a week you know for the soldiers it's it's repeating for over a week it's a week yeah. of, you know waiting for a rescue yeah how can mm-hmm. i get out mm-hmm. of here yeah Where am I going to get out of here? That's the tension. So for the pilot, it is like yeah. For the pilot, it's an hour. They're supposed mm-hmm. to reach. They're supposed to rescue. They're supposed to do their job while ensuring that the other planes do not you know blast them off. And for the mm-hmm. civilians, that's an entirely different ballgame. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, it's compression and digression, and he's trying to do that. He's trying to do that while ensuring that you know. he can make it as compact as possible that's why i appreciate this movie much more because this is his shortest movie i think second shortest movie i think second yeah, shortest 147 i think yeah after following this is the 147 yeah yeah it's mm-hmm. and it's mad it's mad impressive no the amount of the amount of storytelling is doing within 107 minutes yeah it's mm-hmm. impressive as hell when i rewatched yeah. it a week ago it was just damn it was I mean, I I just remembered how much I had loved the movie the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Dunkirk in nineteen seventeen goes like head to head as on the basis of technicalities. Nineteen seventeen goes a little bit too far. I think Dunkirk has this uh, their uh, the screenplay on the other side as well. But I don't think nineteen seventeen screenplay ka uska bhi utna zada khas kuch. I feel the bigger problem with 1970 magnanimity nahi tha to me it felt like a video game rather than a film yeah it's what, it's exactly it's the, the magnanimity of 1917 lies in its technicality only but you know, was, but yeah. Yeah, that was done in a one shot was done in a one shot it's just a you have two soldiers just surviving it's like a video game nothing know, else Dunkirk, and you know the dog of the thing is you know the criticism that this movie has no character This movie has no quote unquote character development. Yeah. Somehow not But having quote unquote character development make me make me made me invested more. Yeah. But character a little bit of exploration happened. And you know what? Yeah, Sorry. yeah. The only thing. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I got it. But uh, the Killian Murphy character also, right? It's it's efficient introduction. Yeah. Killian Murphy's mm-hmm. character, a PTSD, a PTSD affected soldier. Yeah. So what whatever he is doing he is affected by trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it that's mm-hmm. all I need to know. Mm-hmm. I think Ashwini? you know what sorry sorry continue. The thing is that uh, you do have a lot of character even uh, take that uh, part where they're all taking shelter inside one of those uh, boats boats you know one of the yes. beached vessels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you see the entire sort of argument going on about Uh, whether or not an Iron Barnard's character should step out of the boat and mm. hand himself over to the Germans, essentially, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is character. That is informing you. What is character supposed to do? It's supposed to inform you. Of it's the supposed to. It's of supposed the... to inform you the circumstance and how the story will move. Ideally, What? that's how characters work. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole and I think the character debate then became an extended one of 
oh there are no indians there are no uh, belgians there are no yeah. women in the film indian there were so no me, indians man no there there was a company of indians uh, yeah. indian animal transport company was there at dunkirk mm-hmm. the thing is they weren't evacuated the ones yeah. who got evacuated were the british mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. nolan doesn't really owe it to us perhaps mm-hmm. an indian filmmaker owes it to us to go and tell that story yeah mm-hmm. to tell the story of the indians who fought in the two world wars but ashwini please chime in whenever you want that the film you sort of breaks down these barriers of you know uh nationality in that sense it mm-hmm. could just as easily be the story of uh, to me for instance like because my grandfather was in the air force i was mm-hmm. reminded of what he used to tell me about our defeat to war Mm. with china and of course the air force did not fly in active operations my grand- grandfather was a transport pilot so he had flown ops then and i was reminded of those stories because that was a defeat for us mm. and mm. this dunkirk was a defeat for the british and yeah. for the allies in a larger sense i i could correlate events that are you know set apart by about 22 years mm. the idea that there needs to be you know a, a name a background a sweetheart waiting at home in the exactly. form of like uh, pooja bhat from border uh, is a matter of mm-hmm. personal preference that came out mm-hmm. of nowhere <laughs> i only said it because you said i like it, it. I, I, like know, it. I know i know i <laughs> know pull up crew and I, I, and i didn't have it in me to name the entire <laughs> cast of noc please don't <laughs> so so i i feel like also in that moment what dunkirk does is it gives you and a glimpse of the immediacy of survival yes mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. The, exactly that requirement and the film does that well enough it doesn't need to do mm-hmm. ashwini i mean i'm thinking what dunkirk doesn't give us is like kadam aur the milte hai kadam wala gana everybody breaking <laughs> every i was going to say at least dunkirk perfectly choreograph all the wo Set piece on the island and on the boats, <laughs> and Tom Holland mm. behind the mark. So the forty-three-dollar ki jaga, he is like singing something. Hardy, Hardy, sir, not Holland. I, I just, I just oh, want to know one thing from Tom you. Hardy. I just want to ask one question mm-hmm. to you guys. How, how, how would you feel? Uh, that the movie would have been good, like better offer was if J P Datta would have directed Dunkirk. J P Datta shouldn't direct at all anymore, yeah. कॉन्ट्रीब्यूशन हां बनाएगा तो कोई बना भी लेगा लेकिन फाइनेंस कौन करेगा इंडियंस आर बवाल हो जाएगा देयर देयर इज बवाल देयर इज देयर इज बवाल दैट रिसेंटली दैट इंडियंस कंट्रीब्यूटेड डूड व्हाट आर यू टॉकिंग अबाउट इंडियंस कंट्रीब्यूटेड दे जानवी कपूर हैड एपिलेप्सी इन द शावर के अबाउट व्हाट इज लाइक गैस चेंबर गैस या शावर शी कंट्रीब्यूटेड या संजीत जर्मनी इज गोइंग टू जेल You know the fact that Sanjit is in that country is so hilarious. Now with now with that casual mention, ये पूरा section cut होगा from the broadcast. 
हमें इजरेली मिलने आने वाले उट द आइडिया 
that if you are put in this kind of situation the theater of war like amarte was mentioning then uh, the urgency will remain the same whether exactly. or not so if hypothetically if you are in at war and you know that tomorrow the war will end I mean, you obviously mm. don't know it but if tomorrow war was to end then that one day will have the same urgency then the one month will have if the war had to end uh, one month later so that is one thing second thing time is a very important factor uh, given this particular episode in world war 2 also because uh, yeah. we all know that uh, german troops were arriving right mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, there was i am not very good with the facts here but as far as i remember french were holding them off at some front line so uh, at, at dunkirk town acha mm-hmm. okay so that is one and then uh, so uh, this is again one important thing second is that uh, so another troops that was arriving i think hitler ordered them to wait for the uh, you know uh, supplies to catch mm-hmm. up and uh, while they waited uh, they were caught up in a storm so and that cost them then two days and in that two days the rescue happened so it was all a matter of it's a race Time. Hitler's military stupidity and a miracle, of course. And yeah, race against time. So I mean that 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 is very central to the idea. And when you are talking something about that in a war film, then I think this does not stand as a gimmick. So I mean I agree with you, Sanjeev. It's not a gimmick to me also. And the same thing is if it is a call again, then this would be my counter. And the second thing is that political indifference. So this is something I think I registered only on my third watch. i think mm-hmm. it's nolan is not very vocal and very uh, on the face with his politics and uh, mm-hmm. it's not also the most radical politics that you find in cinema it's not definitely stanley kubrick right but uh, mm-hmm. point is key in whispers in very muted ways there there are enough uh, political uh, undertones and there are also opinions that are you know uh, very much laid out but you have to pay attention again and uh, maybe you will miss it in the first watch but you will definitely get it in the second watch and this mm-hmm. time uh, there was certain undertones which were indicating the british apathy to the french i'm not talking mm-hmm. about whatever happens in the in in that uh, you know boat i'm not just okay. talking about that mm-hmm. that was that was still perfectly rational because they were trying to survive they were mm-hmm. panicking they were acting on city but uh, i am thinking of these you know uh, planning and uh, talking and discussion between the officers and uh, yeah. what churchill had ordered and what does it actually mean in uh, in a practical sense even in the Not mole even in the mole right that's what yeah. the bridge was called right the mole the mole <laughs> yeah even in yeah. the pier actually yeah 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 even in the pier right when the when they were approaching with the stretcher and everything the people were or the soldiers were like only the no people. french no, no french, french only british, only the british. No yeah soldiers yes yeah. yeah so i mean exactly so this this facade of uh, allies again yeah. i mean i'm calling it definitely jump into this when we discuss openheimer typically russians were an ally but uh, there was no condor there was no information exchange nothing was there yeah. and when <laughs> when bombs were dropped on the japanese towns it was only british and uh, america who yeah. knew right mm-hmm. uh, so uh, this thing was very this thing part of part of mind uh, in because how else do you criticize your own uh, your own policy without being uh, you know uh, 
I'm just saying right. the reiteration is not done. In typical war film, there is a yeah, reiteration. Probably not. Right. So, uh, uh, because you have to establish the clear sides. There is yeah. this protagonist and there is this antagonist side. Yeah, but, because uh, here it's not it's not about conflict, like you said. Ah, right? It's about yeah, it's surviving. About survival. Yeah. About but survival. I think also, you know, on the flip side, while Nolan does make it clear that there was a distinction happening between the British and the others, I think there's also an argument to be made, and I don't know whether he's trying to get at that in the film. Mm-hmm. There's an argument to be made that a country's government is only really responsible for its own people. Whatever, you know, in because in war, essentially, even in allies, you're essentially looking out for your own interests. Your allies, by course, definition, yeah. of self-interest. Otherwise, I mean, the US and the I mean, USSR would never be allies. Yeah, I mean, isn't that isn't that uh, kind of falls into the obvious inevit- inevitability also in a way? Yeah. Because, I mean, ship, quote unquote, that was tenuous at best. It's like... At any point of time. Yeah, yeah. Enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's literally right. it. Italy and Germany were the two biggest, you know, the boxers in the town. So, we have to band together because otherwise we'll be destroyed. That's right. the tenuous allyship. It did not mean that they are going to, you know share secrets about their weaponry or warfare or, you know, they will inculcate trade once the war is over. I don't think that was ever the intention. The intention. Even mm-hmm. if that may have been the way they had hoped, uh, yeah. sort of when the first war Even ended. if they had thought about starting it through, initially maybe that was the, you know, process that had been laid out. That once the war is over, we will start, you know, allies. but that's what you do, right? It's like, yeah. it's like you're opening up a talk, you know, just to ensure that allies... You're opening up a channel. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. yeah. But, but to me, like, I think uh, here, uh, Dunkirk is one of the largest military evacuations that's exactly. ever taken place in history, right? Mm-hmm. Similar to that, I think the politics of nationality, mm-hmm. for instance, finds its way into any situation like this where survival is important. For instance, when uh, we were evacuating our citizens from Kuwait back in the early 90s, mm-hmm. and Air India and the Indian Air Force flew some. One lakh Indians back, mm-hmm. like you mean airlift, airlift. Yeah, Akshay Kumar's only good performance in maybe ten years. Yeah. The film film does 
No, probably baby. But baby is not really a performance. That mustache is also fake. So, I think you please in in that film, Raja Menon does never mentions that uh, the Indian government also evacuated other South Asian citizens. So yeah. people from Pakistan and Bangladesh were also flown back along with Indians mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. their countries could not. So it's also about what lens you're the filmmaker looking at it from. Mm-hmm. And in Nolan's case, he's probably, I think, he's trying to look at it from the most practical because 70 years on, you can afford to be practical. Of course, right? yeah. You can look at it with uh, without the rose-tinted glasses, as it were. Mm-hmm. And it was what it was, you know. You can we can argue about it. Three Kingdom come about whether it was right or wrong to it leave. The... The, they were never the golden generation, right? They were no, they the weren't. Generation. Yeah, they never were the mm-hmm. golden generation. Even if but I wanted to ask, like I wanted to ask one thing, which because through which we'll also transition to Oppenheimer because I have a lot of questions. What do you guys think about the editing of 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 Dunkirk specifically? Um. Whenever you talk about editing in a Christopher Nolan film, always what always comes to mind is the score for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The score always goes along with the score. Always goes like hand in hand, right? He's mm-hmm. yes. And I think both these films are underscored throughout, right? Yeah, yeah. Under- his dependency underscored, right? Yeah, yeah. His dependency on the score is very evident. Even now, I think mm-hmm. more so here, more so in Dunkirk as well as Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah, sports yeah. elevating the emotions even more. It it doesn't matter whether the dialogues are incendiary enough or not. It doesn't matter. The score is doing quite a lot of legwork. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. my my of, thing was my bigger question yeah, yeah. was like if you see like scenes in in Dunkirk, like how they go from how you follow the characters and mm-hmm. different timelines and everything. I'm talking beyond that. Even if you look from shot to shot or scene to scene. Mm-hmm. I feel the cutting is much more stable. Feels stable to me. And it's not, it's chaotic, not a criticism. Right? It's, it's, it's not chaotic. Not, it's, yeah. The situation itself is chaotic, right? That That's a different yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. My question is, comes from because I watched Oppenheimer yesterday. And mm. to me, it felt like editing at times when it went from short to short and like even when there was like short reverse short also, it felt mm. a bit jarring to me. I don't know how you guys felt about it. So my, that, was what my, that was what my question was because I think he changed the editor's Earlier it was Lee yeah, Smith. This counter was, question. Uh, Jennifer Lee. Counter, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Counter question. Uh, counter question to you. Did the jarring thing felt fell for you throughout Oppenheimer or did it feel for you? No, no, not or throughout. Or? Not throughout. It just felt in bits and pieces where I was like, oh, why are they? Why? Okay. At some point, there was this one conversation. I, of course, I don't remember it that well now. Mm-hmm. But there was this one conversation which was happening and then they suddenly jump access and go to another, another side. Which to me felt like very off because Nolan is making a film. To him, filmmaking is science. Like mm. he's doing everything according to how it's how it needs to be done. Like you know, it should feel when you're watching as a viewer. The viewing experience and the oral experience are number one priorities in the whole mm. experience. So when you when you watch something like Dark Knight, when he breaks one eighty degree axis, it is for a reason. Yeah, something like that. To me, when I watched Oppenheimer, to me it felt jarring rather than for a reason. That's what I'm saying. So I wanted to mm. compare the editing when it went, goes from something like Dunkirk and Oppenheimer, which are, I feel are very similar in many cases, not just historical events, mm-hmm. but also how basically the, I mean, I feel, I felt Oppenheimer was also very, was about a lot of chaos that, that was happening about building the bomb and everything. And mm. he makes it much more thrilling with the editing of cutting into like, yeah, yeah. not just two timelines, but also three timelines and everything else back and forth. 
so that's yeah. what, what my question was i don't know if, what do you guys think about it that that, that was basically my point I, honestly honestly if i have to be honestly if i have to think about it i think uh, i don't know whether i felt it was jarring i felt the mm-hmm. chaos of it i felt the chaos of it more towards the end you know when you know, when conversation happening in the second timeline is being recontextualized in the third timeline and each and every time the conversation and their answers were being given presented in the same way but with different context added upon it so okay. like the cutting was chaotic cutting was chaotic then because yes the conversation and the aftermath was happening harder now because you are finally understanding what the conversation actually meant then okay. what the conversation is meaning now means no okay you know? mm-hmm. so yeah so that's why the chaos that's why the chaos then i felt the chaos but i think the chaos was more because there is also a general point of anxiety you know in the mm-hmm, entire movie, the general tone of yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah 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 so that's why i was asking whether you felt the jarring throughout the movie or in bits and pieces because no, then it felt in bits and pieces not throughout the film yeah, because yeah. if it was throughout the film i think it must have been yeah, some exactly. thought behind it exactly. but bits and yeah. pieces to me felt like a bit jarring mm-hmm. when i was like oh why are they Why would he take a decision something like this? I think, but I, I mean, guess I it's also I my first think, viewing. I think, and I, I was think, discovering uh, the film much more, and now I will yeah. rewatch and yeah. But I, yeah, I we can. I, I think we can transition too. to Oppenheimer. We imagine a future, and our imaginings horrify us. They won't fear it. until they understand it and they won't understand it until they've used it theory will take you only so far everybody was talking that nolan made his own version of social network so when i rewatched social network after watching oppenheimer i noticed this jarring thing in social network as well okay. so there was this interrogation happening and there is the scenes happening in between mm-hmm. as well so there mm-hmm. is one part of conversation that is happening and then the then it goes to flashback mm-hmm. that that incident is happening and then it's being uh, conversed and then it's being talked about in the interrogation room So I think Nolan mm-hmm. uh, took that kind of I I think so he took some kind of influence from social network as well or I think this is some kind of a, a narrative structure it's a, it's a narrative structure it's a narrative right? structure yeah it's yeah you yeah it's not just in a interrogation room and uh, incident only in in question it's it's been noticed in a lot of films where you just uh, where just mentioning or giving descriptions about some certain incident and it ha- the uh, that very incident happens uh, side by side as well which And is why guess, which is why i am also saying which is why i also say that the music is very important yeah mm-hmm. in yeah, the, the music is very force, important right? yeah that's the yeah, binding yeah. key role yeah. yeah. in the social it establishes network, the mood of it yeah. yeah in the social network social network is a perfect movie for me i think it, it is it is it's a perfect movie for me i can't i can't honestly find any flaw in that movie. and mm-hmm. 
one of the key things why that movie holds so well together is the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Atticus Ross music, yeah, yeah. That score is jaw-droppingly good. It is so good that score, and especially the courtroom scenes when the cutting and when the cross-cutting and intercutting is occurring. Take note of the score, how the score is actually balancing those out. You know, you can understand okay. the tones immediately as the tension mm-hmm. shifts, and mm-hmm. I think. I think one of the is one of the differences between social network and uh, Oppenheimer is is, Gora is trying to be operatic. Like, He's just basically you know? trying to be Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer on steroids. <laughs> He's basically <laughs> well, yeah, Ludwig Göransson. The the way that guy gave me panic attack. In uh, in can you hear the music yeah. for the first time when I heard mm-hmm. it in oh, IMAX yeah. and watched it in IMAX? Yeah. That it was like he's trying to be Hans Zimmer, full on Hans Zimmer in Dune, but I, make I think he's not trying to be Hans Zimmer. He's trying to be himself. I guess he's yeah, yeah. serving but, what the stories. To me, it felt like the 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 can you hear the music bit. To me, it felt yeah. like two different emotions, and yeah. it was the whole music operated in 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 that aspect. Like it went from wonder to horror. Yeah, look at look at what I said. And it is always about that expanse. So you always see. uh like aerial shots of places and then yeah. micro molecules and like the electron yeah. mm-hmm. again no, again if, if you notice looking goransons work mm-hmm. that that he has been like if you exclude tenet and oppenheimer ludwig goranson is gives it more on the synth wave mm-hmm. uh, side mm-hmm. like if you notice mm-hmm. mandalorian if you notice black panther mm-hmm. if you notice mm-hmm. creed he gives always he is his compositions are always around the synth wave genre it's percussion it's percussion Percussion, yeah, it's percussionist. But here in uh, in Tenet and Oppenheimer, he goes full on like with all the loud bangs and everything, which is not really. It it doesn't fit a lot more strings, which I haven't heard that in any strings and violence, but Mm -hmm. a lot of violence. Violence, a lot of violence, lot of violence. But in Oppenheimer, I think that makes sense because that's what I was talking about. Oppenheimer, Mm. very classical. Yeah, Oppenheimer. Mm. Goranson is trying to be full blown, you know, orchestra operatic. No, and it also it also uh, sort of. Mirroring Oppenheimer's own artistic exactly. Interest. That's what I was going to mm-hmm. say. So it's orchestral, operatic yeah. because of the theater he's which Oppenheimer finds himself in. Not so just that artists, his his yeah. own interests in life were like his own interests mm-hmm. in life was like that exactly. But something so very it's similar also very was also done in first man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for in saying that. Man, I, I thought I was the only Justin one. Hurwitz the Justin Hurwitz did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, can you hear the music? The moon landing sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very, very experiment, which was Armstrong's personal favorite musical instrument. But continue. Amartya, sorry. No, no, but that's all. That's all I was stating. That you know, the dichotomy of the operatic score as well as the you know uh, internal anxiety-driven score, which is so much percussion. Mm-hmm. That is when that is when Goransson is going back to his percussion roots, right? The continuous, uh, continuous, you know, beat pumping, increasing yeah. the tone and everything. Yeah. But that's yeah. also very Zimmer, and that's also very Dunker. You know, the mm-hmm. Supermarine, the Supermarine soundtrack in the Dunker. Supermarine oh. is great, but I feel that that I that there is some Nolan influence because I saw making of it today morning, and Nolan was there in all yeah, the yeah. settings. Yeah, yeah, in the recording. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but there must be something. Must yeah. that he must have told. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Thought of it was like completely sort of separate from uh, Amartya and Pratish, which is I see the editing and the score as being separate elements in terms of. one one will sort of support the other and mm-hmm. they're sort of uh, 
sort of partners in that sense sachin mm-hmm. and saurav if you want but uh, but i thought that the, sir sachin and saurav is a good partnership what do you say no no i'm yeah. not saying that i'm just saying the but, analogy kahan se aate hai but uh, i thought you know the chaos of oppenheimer's like some of it is edited like it you know to me it was similar in its editing in that sense to a bit like once upon a time in hollywood which is also a bit of a sprawl of a film it's bit? taking it yeah yeah <laughs> but it's shorter than oppenheimer by solid 20 minutes yeah yeah so and it feels longer it feels longer definitely yeah but in that sense oppenheimer is messy but in a good way and the editing sort of backs that up because the chaos of the editing in certain places is reflecting the chaos of the character in a very mm-hmm. basic way but it's also reflecting the chaos of the greater situation whether you look at it as being the red scare or uh, you know nuclear armament immediately after the war because uh, i think america was the first country to get an atom bomb russia the mm-hmm. second mm-hmm. England, uh, it, I think England, France, China, and then us. That mm-hmm. that must have been the order. That I'm not sure whether it's accurate. But the fact that you're essentially building up to today, we live in a world where, uh, sort of, we're talking about nuclear war very casually almost. Mm-hmm. When you look at the uh, invasion of Ukraine last year, mm-hmm. the very simple reality of nuclear war, as it were. but at that time because it was so new i think what the editing also does is show you that the world in itself even after the war appears to be over is still a mess yeah and you're still trying to sort your way out of mm-hmm. and look at how oppenheimer keeps walking into trouble like you know he walks yeah, yeah. he bumps into <laughs> colonel pash arguably the worst performance in the film i would i would say but are you while, sure it's not your ksf i am quite sure i i don't think he's got the like if you if you read the book sash is described as a properly menacing man ksi mm-hmm. affleck is so dead eyed and so expressionless in really everything and while i disagree to hand, that opinion you know in another to, actor's hand it would have been a great on, on the other side from all together because AC i see affleck contact <laughs> really different thing i'm not arguing on that i, I, I think in I that think... brief moment he was extremely anxiety inducing i uh, think benny safdi as uh, teller was also kind of very, i enjoyed him. i i thought he was very, like very theatrical like... but yeah, teller yeah, is very theatrical yeah. teller but is very you theatrical s- you'll watch any teller seen, interview uh, he's not okay no but if you've seen other benny safdi performances i think this is like The, the difference is like massive hmm. like yeah i didn't I, I like him in that, good uh, time much yeah like people love him yeah. good time he's i didn't awkward he's a little awkward with his like if you see his eyes and everything he's not yeah. that expressive but here i thought he was at least doing something physically or something with yeah. like voice modulation or something so i thought he was interesting after then. after good time he started to play all the good guys he he was in like licorice pizza licorice pizza licorice pizza are you there god it's me margaret it's me margaret yeah 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 टेबल 
what the book would have provided them because at yeah. the end of the day the book is very uh, book is non fictional that way so uh, i mean it is definitely a biography but it's also a, a whole lot of facts so it's it's not in the book you don't develop character beyond the facts but yeah. the actors here have been, have brought so much to the table and uh, i mean uh, i think the <clears throat> best performance that i feel from the film is like robert downey junior and louis cross and oh yeah and uh, mm-hmm. no no arguments yeah, yeah. no caps no caps because i remember like everything i knew open armor from the lens of the book i cannot remove that bias because i have read it now i cannot yeah. read but mm-hmm. uh, also i i do I believe was, that yeah go ahead go ahead i'll tell you after I, i'll just complete this in the book louis cross does not give you any room to be sympathetic to him like there is no not even an iota of understanding or sympathy it's just pure hatred because of uh, because it's a bunch of facts of what he did as a conservative in the us government during mccarthy era that is it but ashwinik but ashwinik would you would you want to credit that to nolan's adaptation to a screenplay or is that also no it's, it's it's no it's robert downey junior i mean of course it's a collective effort at the end of the day the uh, the material he given and jokes mm-hmm. that has been written to, uh, for him but the performance itself uh, you know there are many moments in which you are not speaking and that yeah. is not that cannot be captured in book right because yeah. uh, there is no uh, so if, if there is an image of robert downey junior when there is there are things happening to him or before him when he is not speaking mm-hmm. but it's uh, he has uh, acted so in a in a such a nuanced way that you kind of understand his uh, station in uh, that particular situation or circumstance mm-hmm. also please somebody mm-hmm. tell mad demon to retire no, you mad to come on i really enjoyed his play he's playing the same उट Too much of my Mad Demon content, dumb. Maybe you mad- shouldn't have seen Air before Oppenheimer. He was great. No. I watched Air after Oppenheimer, so it was better. He was good. He is good. He is good, but it's just being Mad Demon. Also, also in that movie, Ford was. But that's not a criticism, bro. That's not a criticism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm not even saying I'm not even saying it's a criticism. I'm just saying a remark, and like, yar. नहीं the thing that i gauged about downey's impression of strauss mm. from the pre release interviews was downey may disagree with him politically yeah. mm-hmm. but downey is clearly in admiration of him as a man to america's corporate uh, efforts at a certain point in time mm-hmm. 
And mm-hmm. Lewis Strauss accomplished man. He served on like Herbert Hoover stuff during the League of Nations days. So he's had that impressive, humongous sort of uh, government aspiration, which was supposed to culminate in like his appointment as the Secretary of Commerce, which, as we know, doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But I think when we come to the performances in that track, while I think Downey is fantastic, I do have a problem with uh, Aaron Reich. Because him and Scott Grimes are the two fictionalized or composite characters in the film. They, they were more like moral compasses, technically. I yeah. Think. And the good you angel the, and the bad angel. On this yeah, the yeah, way, yeah. The way Aaron Reich sort of, you know, eggs him on, it just, I mean, at some point, Strauss would have been like, you you, you bastard, you're taking the mickey out of me, aren't you? I'll beat you <laughs> to pulp right here. Because you can tell he's making, and that is a flaw in Aaron Reich's performance. And also to an extent in Nolan's direction of it. That, you know, tone down the cheekiness of it. Tone down the obviousness of it. Which I agree with. I mean, there was little moment of cheekiness. Like, Colonel Nichols at one point says, ouch, when Roger Robb's name is mentioned. And I was like, like, this moment is very cringe. It should not have been here. Kids planning a very very terrible conspiracy against someone. It is that only. It is very petty. But again, that moment was like awful. Yeah. No, but I, I, my, my sole quibble that way was with Aaron Reich. And a thing that I actually came away admiring about Nolan was that while the main villain of the film is Strauss, a Republican, he is not mm-hmm. letting the Democrats go for what they did to Oppenheimer. Right. So of the three people in that hearing, the Republican is the one who sided with Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer and the two yeah. Democrats said that he should not get his security clearance. Roger yeah. Robb was a Democrat. Gordon yeah. Gray was a Democrat. So it's it's such an interesting thing right. that how we view politics today is not necessarily how politics has panned out over the years. Mm-hmm. Like the Democrats were responsible eventually for... Uh, to some degree, it was Eisenhower, of course, who was a Republican. But the Democrats went along with it. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Democrats are even supporting Strauss, uh, Tim DK's brief cameo, I think. He's supposed to be playing a Democrat uh, senator mm-hmm. in uh, uh, the Senate Appointments Committee for Strauss. Mm-hmm. And also, I felt that uh, while I liked what they did with Rami Malik, that sudden yes. introduction, no, yes. was a little. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That came out of nowhere. Yeah. Honestly, it should have. It should have. Been yeah, at least give a name from before. Was, give us something. Give us something. That yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. exaggerating and saying that was an Abbas Mustan twist. I'm like, no, Abbas Mustan. Not an Abbas Mustan. No, but like, no, it's it's. I think it's a creative liberty taken because yeah, yeah. Uh, he does not have the ample room to uh, go into how scientists lobbied the. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, and Senate. David Hill did testify. I'm arguing I'm just... that the placement of David exactly. Hill in the narrative does not quite come. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because also, of how way... it is placed, because of how it is placed, no, you know, the revelation just comes up as loaded, in a way. Yeah. And that, and that just, you know, blinds But I was, I was quite, I had predicted this wouldn't be in favor of Scots at all. Like, they yeah. will testify against him only, no, no matter what he's Strauss's portrayal as 
sort of like an antagonist came off as like a twist only right what did you guys think about that no no i i mean having read I the think, book i expected it i think Achha, i, think I haven't twist, i didn't know anything about it so i think the twist was for me but that is solely because of uh, downey's performance because until the yeah, twist was he's happening, very convincing until the yeah. twist is happening he's very convincing as the guy who had supported oppenheimer for so yeah long. yeah that's what he he was an ally to no, but like yeah. he, so in the film it is like that but uh, yeah. it's not so much of a support for oppenheimer but more for his reputation because yeah. oppenheimer's reputation preceded him so mm-hmm. yeah he knew him as the greatest scientific mind of his era so which is also probably to- not true Yeah, the salesman I mean, of science. That's what he was. Getting right? yeah. getting him into the, the position of director of the institute is a big win for Sauce yeah. in political circles. You know, and yeah. mm-hmm. so and then he is also getting to know him. So he does not know him beyond yeah. his from before past, that, right? And it's mm-hmm. also petty the way he turns against him. It's very petty. But but uh, you like, know, Amartya, I think. So sorry, Ashwini. Please, please. Continue. Yeah, this sorry. was like I was. Uh, this is a callback to what Amartya was uh, asking me that if it is a um, merit of Nolan's direction. So there is one thing that I do give to Nolan is that the way uh, in Downey's hmm. uh, monologues, the dialogues have been written. So there oh, is yeah. one important dialogue in which Downey mentions that I made sure the man is remembered for Trinity, not for Nagasaki. Not for Hiroshima, Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Yeah. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. the fantastic. I mean, it's it's a creative liberty thing. It's it's not in the book. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he ever said it. But point is, he it's actually true. It rings true because Oppenheimer is not so much remembered as a man responsible for Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm. Right, and that's why when it is given to you in terms of the visuals in the film, when you see Truman flinching at Oppenheimer and saying that I was the one who, yeah, you know. I am the one who pulled uh, pushed the button. Mm-hmm. People Correct. will remember me, and that is exactly what happened. So, Hiroshima are Roman's crime. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's not about you. So you don't have to put yourself at the center of the universe every time. So your guilt complex is also is asked to self-inflated. Yeah. yeah, it's self-inflated, and you're trying to absolve yourself constantly. So that's where we get to the complexity of Oppenheimer as okay. a character, and is is also uh, inherent narcissism. Yeah, exactly, and, and yeah. his sort of his ability to like the first interaction he has with Strauss chronologically, yeah. he calls him a lowly shoe salesman. Lowly shoe salesman. Yeah. It mm. tells you exactly what Oppenheimer was capable of being. He could be an asshole to people for mm. no good reason. Mm-hmm. The most right. interesting thing you find about his character in the book is that he would be very uh, good and very generous to people who were below him in social order, but he would be assholeish to people who were equals. You know. Also, also, and, I don't know. I don't know if this is uh, pointed out or if this was in the movie or if I'm remembering it wrong. But every time uh, Oppenheimer, every time the timeline is in color, right? You know that feeling of Oppenheimer being in the how you are stating that you know his relationship with everybody else is you know far more cordial or his assholishness is more calculated to a certain yeah. degree. I, that mm-hmm. is because that is because uh, I think I think he, he, they even said that in interviews and I think it even in the movie makes it apparent the color version of the timeline is Oppenheimer's point of view Self-image. of the whole incident. Yeah. Oh, yeah, perception. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the whole. It's open. It's subjective. Perception. It's subjective because in the screenplay also it is written in first person. I yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Correct. Yeah. The color thing is entirely subjective. 
yeah and the black and white version is the you know third person view third or person. What, yeah. yeah yeah and that mm-hmm. and that's why you know what openheimer could be the assholeish version of himself you know completely mm-hmm. completely foolish towards uh, strauss and everything else that's in black and white because that's mm-hmm. why kind of sort of a two image and I no, mean, and the self self image thing also comes out right at the end. He agrees to shake Taylor's hand. That's as much a thing of wanting to be gracious mm-hmm. as wanting to appear to others as, oh, you know what? I'm a forgiving man. Mm-hmm. I've forgiven this betrayal of Edward mm-hmm. Taylor's. Whereas his wife is like, like I t- told Amartya that day, his, his uh, Kitty's anger with Taylor sort of reminds me of my mom. Like my my dad might forget somebody who's you know crossed words with him at some point in his life, mm-hmm. but my mom won't, mm-hmm. and she'll sort of she'll be sort of crystal clear in her responses towards that person. So to me, Kitty was very much, and my mom was sitting right next to me when I was watching the film. So I was like, okay, basically the same person in that sense, <laughs> minus the alcoholism, of course. Fortunately, uh, I'm I'm glad brings uh, Kitty's uh, you know uh, character. Uh, in the conversation because i think this is the most important thing that uh, nolan has done in openheimer uh, and the reason is that while reading the book i could not uh, have a multidimensional idea of catherine because uh, in all the anecdotes that are mentioned and all the testimonials mentioned about her it paints a very unidimensional picture of her being a, i mean her being a problematic person in a lot yeah. of mm-hmm. ways it does not give you uh, i mean you can empathize uh, when you think from a very feminist perspective of you know having to carry uh, coming from a traumatic experience and being the wife to this man who was not the perfect man to be with but then again you also uh, reading the book you don't get a great picture of her of her own personal flaws as a person yeah right and uh, and also as a mother and also as a as a wife but uh, and and it's not a fault of the authors because authors have tried to do the best they can with not all that, the like, material there uh, small qualification to that actually and i'll let you go on yeah, yeah. is that uh, when marty shervin started working on the book everybody from the oppenheimer family i think except everybody as in i mean the the parents were both gone oppy uh, yeah. and kitty were both dead uh, and the children, I don't think, were the most receptive. Ultimately, I think Peter Oppenheimer did end up collaborating with them, with the writers. But uh, Tony, the daughter, she died pretty early into the book's yeah. writing. So the mm-hmm. view we get of Kitty in the book is largely what you know of her through people like Frank Oppenheimer. From relatives, it's Frank Oppenheimer and her son. And then, of course, there's the other people who were at Los Alamos. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but here, yeah. Uh, I mean, adding on to that, what Nolan has done is that he has first of all presented a very empathetic picture of uh, Kitty Oppenheimer. Yeah, she's not just a strong-willed woman, but she's also uh, has a has a multi-dimensional perspective of what is happening around her. That is one thing. Second thing, uh, she was like uh, the, the trial scene itself. Uh, sorry, not to call it a trial, but an inquiry. Or here, security hearing in which she mm-hmm. uh, testifies. That is very critical, and it's critical because it lands against the passivity of Oppenheimer. Now, this is yeah. another. This is landing against the flaw of the film. The flaw is 
Oppenheimer is shown to be passive in the security hearings in his own subjective, uh, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, POV. But uh, his passivity has not been explained, so it, it is very vulnerable to a wrong interpretation, misinterpretation. It can be interpreted as being very guilt-ridden. It can be interpreted as conspiring something big, but none of that is true because Oppenheimer was he had he had uh, you know sort of lost only. That was like everything turned against him and he could not cope up with it. And he was destroyed. So in, in a very essential sense, that those security hearings destroyed the man. They destroyed, that, exactly, right? What what yeah. we talked about is narcissism. They yeah. destroyed his importance in a larger scheme of things. He was no longer relevant. After having been relevant for over a no decade, long. he was back to sort of pre-Berkeley days. And the climax mm-hmm. of the climax of that, you know, uh, quote unquote uh, security hearings, quote unquote kangaroo court. The climax of that entire moment, you know, with all the white light, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. of the blast and everything, yeah, the yeah. music, the music, music completely ratcheting itself up and everything until until he just gives up. I think that that entire climactic scene kind of shows visually what Ashwini is also saying, right, in the book. You know that it destroyed him in a way. Yeah, yeah, that and is also panic. that is panic. Uh, it, he he was he he was not very comfortable with the hearings. He did not fight them, and it's very yeah. true that Kitty Oppenheimer was very angry at the attorney that uh, you know Oppenheimer himself that why are they not fighting? Now? Fighting, why are they? Mm-hmm. And she did, and it's very true that she did, and it's a great scene. It's a it's, it's a, a very interesting. Scene. Yeah, it's a fantastic scene. But like uh, that passivity is only there because he was panicking. And again, the entire uh, so now uh, there is there are two things which are very open to misinterpretation. Even the structure of the film of subjective objective black and white color thing. And uh, uh, apart from this passivity, there is another thing which I was saying uh, is open to misinterpretation, and that is the guilt part. Whether Oppenheimer was guilty, was not guilty, or whether he was guilty, but in the film they show him to be more guilty than he actually was. You know, mm-hmm. so they, these are the questions that will definitely arise in any uh, mind who has not read the book. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, uh, any film is detached from the source material once it's in India. There are two uh, different uh, artworks. You know, so uh, I mean, I'm um, sort of uh, taking the conversation in that direction now because mm-hmm. it will be interesting to know what uh, you guys thought. About the about his guilt complex and what your uh, conclusion is, if there is a conclusion at all. I thought that was basically the essence of the film. I think that that's how he started the film. I mean, that's what the, I think the origin of for Nolan to me felt like the origin for the film, and then he made the film according the to the conception him. of the movie yeah. was basically exploring that question right yeah like after the bombing the last one hour is just that i think that is the film and the before that is just what he constructed before that but yeah i, I think i think we can also dovetail dovetail this into the comment you know what is what the entire question of whether his guilt you know how much of the bombing should have been shown that's also a question which is arriving right and yeah, but I think that was that, that his perspective. Was he never saw exactly. The... That's what I'm right. getting at. That's what I'm getting at. It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's like they don't show the bombing because it's his perspective. Yeah, right. it's his no. perspective. But 
I think it's also the guilt complex. I think it's the. I think that's why not showing the bombing works in this case mm-hmm. because so, I don't know. It's also he... not that he, he didn't see the yeah. you know, inquire, uh, committee's report or photographs uh, ever he in did. his life. He, he, he did. did. He did. He did, but like in the film, uh, he's just uh, you know turning his eyes away. That is fine. It's not I... just the subjective idea. It's also the fact that uh, it's not about Hiroshima. It's about this man right now. I also like this I film is not a misery pop. I, I mean that is how it, the film decision is very different. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, Varun. Uh, just just one sentence. Yeah. I interpreted it as you know. It's an obsession, right? Uh, because mm-hmm. what Oppenheimer's character has shown the obsession to understand, like the obsession to understand, the obsession to discover, and the obsession to be greater than most people. I think that is what is driving any character or any human being who is in search for knowledge or answers, right? So, creation of the atom bomb, a creation of nuclear fission, and to see nuclear fission as a practicality. that mm-hmm. was what was driving them okay that's a tunnel vision the fact that right. that is the practicality a practical usage of a theory that is the tunnel vision they are looking at atom bomb and detonating of the atom bomb is just a practicality of the theory consequences never factored into their mind correct yeah never but then that's that's also the resultant of the whole perspective thing right even yes. is, how is political ideology is also like kind of very throughout mm-hmm. the narrative then that thing is part of like the whole dis- consequence of his thought processes right i think that's how the horror add, was also building up now i think if you're going yeah, to yeah, attribute yeah. blame i think if you're going to attribute blame to oppenheimer in some regard i think the blame <laughs> should be attributed because he was also the chief liaison between the scientists and the government and the government yeah so if anyone knew what the consequences could be if anyone had the emotional bandwidth to understand what the consequences could be it should be him mhm No, but I, I think I think scientists did knew about the consequences. I mean, if you are if mathematics equation says something, mm-hmm. then it gives you a pretty much uh, you know solid answer to this. It this will lead to that. Uh, I I agree with yeah, what but but Ashwini also saying yeah, but also there is a thing right. So if a bomb blasts, okay, you could say that the impact of the radiation would cover a radius of this 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 miles. Okay. now your interpretation of would be that if the radius of it is like that that means the entire city would be destroyed right understandably understandably the thing about it is that i don't know whether it ever factored into their mind i don't know whether it ever factored into their mind that the city would be teeming with again the, now that i'm listening to you know my criticism of another thing uh there was another point of criticism i had against openheimer that it does not sort of give importance to two pivotal moments and one of them was uh, which i am going to quote right now uh, and because it does not give uh, uh, you know uh, attention and focus and uh, ample screen time to that moment is exactly why uh, somehow you are coming up with this kind of interpretation and you are not wrong amartya uh, mm-hmm. uh, because i'll i'll, uh, I'll quote so uh, in in uh, when i said rabi and uh, openheimer are discussing essentially openheimer is uh, recruiting rabi for the program mm-hmm. and rabi denies that is a pivotal moment because it, it, there is a very important dialogue in which he says that i don't want uh, three centuries of physics to culminate into a weapon of mass destruction yes you know 
now nolan style uh, is something that i do not admire in this moment because he immediately intercuts it to something else yeah it, it doesn't let it breathe he doesn't yeah, let it, breathe. it yeah it should have given some time and some silence for this uh, dialogue to get registered at something that is mm-hmm. that is exactly what happened it's very uh, you know uh, it's prophetic and it's mm-hmm. it's also it, it is the moral fiber of uh, you know uh, the entire question of whether you should drop a bomb mm-hmm. but whether you should take it or not but ashwini i'd argue that given that part of the film is happening from oppenheimer's perspective i'd say the cut is perfectly logical or for not letting it breathe is perfectly logical because oppenheimer purely wasn't interested in the consequences he I mean, he didn't he didn't care that the idea of physics 3 centuries down would essentially be one big bomb yeah. right his mm. entire thing was this is the task and we're going to do it again you could be right i could be wrong no but like i mean no 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 I, it's not whether you are right and i'm no no i'm looking at it in some ways yeah it's interpretation your your interpretation is actually like this counter is perfectly there it's a truth i'm not denying that but i'm just saying ki so again now this is suffering from subjectivity like you said yes yeah. suffering from the subjectivity mm-hmm. of open eye and i'm not denying that uh, there was uh, a way in which bomb was Uh, could not have been the bomb was supposed to be developed because fisher was this total uh, scheme of things everything is falling into place and there was no way out it was inevitable hmm. the only thing evitable was whether to use it or not use it or not and right. i think you know there's this there's this terrible uh, canadian telefilm called nuremberg um, i have forgotten mm-hmm. who the director was but uh, Alec Baldwin played uh, Robert Jackson and uh, Brian Cox played Herman Gering in that. Mm. So it's it's an absolutely terrible production. I would not wish it upon anyone to watch it unless you are a Brian Cox fan. And in that Brian Cox asks this uh, guy who's playing the American psychologist at Nuremberg prison, Captain Gustav Gilbert, would the Americans have dropped the bomb as easily on the Germans? and i think I teller think, also kind of tweaks this dialogue na how uh, what what do you think if uh, if uh, the japanese would have surrendered uh, if they dropped the bomb or something like that they he said this dialogue demonstration yeah that, i think that but here the thing is yeah. about the politics of it about the racial situation right yeah. would you have dropped yes. it on people who are racially similar to you mm-hmm. as easily as you dropped it on a bunch of people who you as a nation consider racially inferior because again american politics at the time was they didn't lock up all americans of german or italian descent but they did proceed to lock up most americans of japanese descent mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah i think that would have been it's not supposed to be something the film caters to but that would have been it, an it does raise angle. an interesting question yeah yeah right whether because the germans were of course uh, developing their own bomb but by then the british bomber raids had been successful yeah. the heavy water plants had been destroyed at uh, in norway so they would never have gotten the bomb mm. mm-hmm. but yeah i think the conundrum is the fact that we're talking about it so much feeds the i think the, the movie succeeds i think the movie succeeds because we had talking yeah. about it succeeds exactly. but only half heartedly in this regard actually when it mm-hmm. comes to the use of the bomb when it comes to that question it does not succeed fully i would mm-hmm. say 
because there is another very crucial scene which is suffering again from the subjectivity of Oppenheimer, and this is the second pivotal scene I was mentioning, and it is the discussion that happens when they are uh, sort of deciding uh, where to drop the bomb with uh, the speech, uh, right? After after dropping. No, the bomb. no, no. In 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 the in the room. Uh, in the room, yeah, Oppenheimer with uh, and Simpson and Jill Marshall yeah. and everyone. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Kyoto. Yeah, Kyoto thing. That discussion should have, in a, in a very uh, from an outsider's POV, I think that needs a lot of, uh, you know, uh, very 12 angry men's sort of treatment in which the fallacy mm-hmm. and foolishness and the you know, all these men should come out in the open. Right. And, uh, and it does not. It does not exactly. Because, uh, again, a film is very limited uh, by... I mean, a book is very expensive. Film is limited by screen time. Film is again then mm-hmm. limited by the perspective that Nolan is using. And uh, the choices Nolan makes. And the choices yeah. Nolan makes. Exactly. So when he's using Oppenheimer's perspective, obviously the entire Silas petition is uh, going to, you know, get sidelined. But it was a very important thing that was happening. And this, this answers the... Uh, uh, question whether scientists knew about the consequences and what they thought about it. 148 out of 150 scientists signed the petition to mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. drop the bomb without a warning, without demonstration. I mean, they recommended what can be done, you know. And mm-hmm. the more you read up, the more you realize ki it was only it a was very stated even in the part. document. It, it was stated even in the documentary as well, you know, the day after Trinity that they. Mm-hmm. They, were, they, they did not want to drop the bomb. They wanted a one. They wanted to at least give a warning. They wanted to at least evacuate, or even that they wanted a demonstration or whatever it is. I think it was even mentioned in the document. Demonstration should have been the easiest thing. Like you bring yes. a delegation, bomb fails, you kill those men. I think this was uh, suggested by uh, Rabi only in a very uncharacteristic way because I don't remember who suggested this to Oppenheimer. But people were lobbying, you know, imagine this, people were lobbying Oppenheimer to convince the government to not drop the bomb. Mm. And he did mm. not do a good job at this. Mm. But I think, I think that's the central thing, right? Oppenheimer it is the central. Yeah, needed, needed the atomic bomb to be a success for the work at Los Alamos to have uh, meaning in his life. And for yeah. his life to have meaning, in a because even after he was stripped of his security clearance, the real Oppenheimer never went on the record to say, I regret the atom, yeah, yeah. atomic bomb. He mm-hmm. wanted the atom bomb to exist because it also gave his life meaning. Look at it. No Nobel Prize in an era where pretty much all his peers had won. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That said a lot about his acceptance by his peers as well. Mm-hmm. The bomb essentially meant he didn't need a Nobel Prize. He didn't need any greater recognition of his work. He, mm-hmm. whatever his opposite, I, I also believe that having read the book and subsequently watched the film, I, I am of the opinion that some of his opposition to the hydrogen bomb was that it was Ulam and Teller who would get the glory for it. That it was not okay. really his baby, which the atomic bomb was, even if he didn't design it or he wasn't like, I think, I think that was, I think that also. I think that also came out in the movie as well, especially in the yeah. discussion with Strauss and him when Strauss was yeah. asking about the hydrogen bomb and everything. He's trying to answer that there was a hesitation also, right? You can't exactly formulate correct answers on what to say. Yeah, yeah. Also because 
that is also because he does not want an out from the washington like he wants to he is a very uh, complex person but also very simple conformist like he yeah, conforms yeah. Mm-hmm. he wants to Diplomacy be in the good books yeah yeah and uh, also mm-hmm. very juvenile sort of diplomacy like he was a good person uh, and he was good to talk to and that's why he kept on winning admiration of people and he became an insider in a lot of things but he uh, in in very crucial things that he advocated for later in his life he could not get those things done yeah you know he could not stop the super bomb program or he could not lead to disarmament or even an international cooperation on uh, this thing arms race so uh, he could not do those things and for the guilty part you know uh, we come back to this and now that varun mentioned it's very interesting because later in his life not that he didn't uh, you know uh, regret uh, making the bomb or even apologizing or let's say just saying that i am mm-hmm. feeling bad about hiroshima and nagasaki even though he did uh, somewhere mention that he did not un- understand why nagasaki was important but then again he categorically denied being guilty uh, at a very later stage in life when uh, uh, i guess a german play was made on his life yeah, yeah, yeah he watched it and he was uh, only bitter about the fact that in the german play the protagonist in the end gives a speech sort of thing which implies that he is guilty so and also that the uh, hearings were a tragedy which is something he kept telling himself they were not he kept insisting that they were a farce whereas yeah. they had very real implications on his mental and physical health which he and subsequently his family have continued to deny even his grandchildren today say that we believe it's a farce we don't believe it's a tragedy whereas undoubtedly the smoking and then the stress obviously would have accelerated oppenheimer's mm-hmm. own sort of meeting with his maker what that what all of it means is that uh, this movie overall and nolan's decision to frame this movie throughout as a subjective viewpoint of you know oppenheimer himself yeah you know mm-hmm. it's a double edged sword in a way it's always risky yeah 100% it's always risky you you are always at the risk of you know showing yourself as sympathetic to the guy's plight or you know just following you you, you are never going to have there is always a risk of people saying that oh you are showing him to be a sympathetic person oh you are showing mm-hmm. him to be you are showing him to be completely wrong you know so it is a double edged sword in a way and honestly i don't know if everybody agrees with me about this i think the success of a movie like oppenheimer for me at least even putting putting my mind frame of mind to questioning about oppenheimer or even letting me ask these questions or even letting me think about this in a larger context i think if a movie can succeed in doing that for me mm-hmm. i think it did its job in a way uh, it does it does i mean uh, so uh, uh, i think uh, i'm adding on to that the biggest uh, success uh, for the film we all cannot actually draw any kind of conclusive statement about yes, oppenheimer yes. by the way because oppenheimer yes. at the end of the day remains a very complex person yes so one uh, if uh, i mean one part can say that okay uh, he opposed the super bomb because it was not his baby but there is also a huge amount of reason is that super bomb was actually genocide so yeah. we cannot say ki uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know it was one thing or the other it, it's always a mix right? it is yeah there's, yeah there's no 
spoke the 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 dialogue which has been mostly spoke of uh, now i have become dead the destroyer fools it, it for a works, lot of reasons for a lot of reasons works mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons like when he first says that line while reading the bhagavad gita during that infamous uh, sex scene for a lot of did how much did they cut did the zoom in on the it was the no, it was a black bar it was a black no, bar no 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 hey, black bar is later black bar is later Blackbird is later. This one the zoom. This one the zoom. You and what about the scene? No, no. The... There was Blackbird in the in the scene as well. So first, the very first shot that comes in uh-huh. when they were uh, when they were uh, having sex. So it was like a black bar, and Kevin uh-huh. Murphy was on this side. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, the door. Yeah, yeah, the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I thought it was door. a door. That I thought it was a door. door. It wasn't a door. Yeah, that was a black. It bar. wasn't a door. It was a what black about, bar. What about the scene where? he's Court in that room, inquiry na? thing inquiry thing Court room, and uh, it was it was a black bar it was a black okay, bar okay. there so yeah 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 and so yeah i mean uh, in a way he was destroying jean tetlock's life mhm uh, that that line i think that line played a metaphor in jean tetlock's life and his life and his vision creating a an atomic bomb uh, because he tried to be like he i after meeting with jean tatlock he became a communist so his his beliefs and everything regarding fbi and all the political interferences that's also that bit happened. of an over eq was never really a communist no but that's the left leaning guy that's yeah, what they're implying a, at right that's that's so his paranoia too right he yeah. was he was a convenient leftist of the highest order the convenience is is always convenience it's like it's like all Pretty i'm much. doing is learning knowledge and you know yeah. utilizing yeah. the knowledge to my own convenience that's all it is he was, he's never committing to any of he is not committed to it mm. yeah. he's not yeah like he's not committed to his marriage also right at some point it's yeah. it's he's he can't apart from the bomb and from physics he's just not sort of wedded fiercely to the other things that you would expect to be constant in his life yeah but like like amartya pointed out i think when i got out of the screening i texted these i said i said i said this distinctly i think this may revive a genre i think the pitfall is that everybody could go to this trick now and be like let me try making it this way but the great thing is the novelty will die quicker than any other thing what is the that's every other trend the, the right? non-linearity you're talking uh, about like, no, no, all of it because when you when hollywood copies they copy like they will take that's every studio, structure that's everything that's yeah. every industry yeah. actually yeah that's the, every industry. the trend thing will happen but it's okay but i feel it's I think, part of the whole process i think if you get a couple of good films out of it about interesting people like because people suddenly went oh jfk reference at the end means jfk biopic and then nobody only made one. in No, 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 we don't want a JFK biopic. Thank you, please. I, 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 I think what Varun is saying, na. So, usme, I think there is one thing which is very dangerous as a trajectory, as far as I can imagine, is that uh, this film, to my, uh, in my opinion, a great film, and yet it suffers from subjectivity. Yes. So it 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 is a very challenging thing to do. Nolan yes. has some sort of way uh, maneuvered through the challenge, uh, but uh, he's manipulating he's not, you. It's that way i think it's yeah. it's it's not subject suffering from subjectivity i feel it's, it's part of the whole process right he is using but subjectivity it, as a method of immersion that's what huh. he's doing he's yeah, yeah. doing yeah yeah but, uh, 
like like i said like uh, i mean because films become limited by the screen time now so even if you have a subjective yeah. pov in nolan film at least you have this black and white entire uh, sort of sequence within the screenplay that gives you a third party perspective yeah, so yeah. which sort of balances things out and without and yet without you know uh, uh without cheating for the two or three sequences which i said that i felt was important were important mm-hmm. but then again this is a problem of interpretation at the end of the day because when i read a book i might think uh, find some things as more important as uh, than others but uh, when nolan must have read the book he might have found some other imp- uh, yeah. sequences to be more important that is that is uh, the, the, that is a problem with that is a choice that can, is a choice right you choose yeah, and what then is more interesting to you and the exactly. film at the end yeah. it's also essentially a partial adaptation because all the but, strauss scenes are not in the book but then you also have to look at it in this way he's kind of making movies in this era where where there is the whole point of making anything at this point is how many of eyeballs can you grab can exactly you And so his formalism is is the dean of the day, right? Huh, so he has done a great job. I, so I, I, it's not discrediting Nolan. My idea is that mm-hmm. if if this is abused as a as a uh, yeah. you know as a screenplay device, then then it can become a justification for hagiographies. You know, exactly. of course, of course. If you apply the subjective POV in hagiographic narratives, you mm. have your justification inbuilt into the screenplay. Yeah, but a lot no. of people have already done that. It's not nothing new. Ah, uh, right? it doesn't need perspective. A geography will always be in service of uh-huh. the protagonist. Uh, exactly, so my friend. Be. And it's been happening for ages. Be, right? You you can obviously criticize it. What I'm saying is that if the film carries their own justification of the criticism that you're going to put forth, ah, that is a, a dangerous. You mean if me. the movie you're talking about Sanju? Movie, yes, hey, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and you know never really expected that i'll just name drop a very interesting film that comes to my mind when we are talking in these terms and that is the wind rises mm-hmm. uh, hayao uh, wind rises uh, the important thing about that film is that it's very uh, similar in terms of thing because uh, in that film also an engineer is chasing dreams what he essentially calls cause dreams because what his dreams are manifest into uh, into instruments that get weaponized by the political leaders and then uh, act as you know essentially weapons there are mm-hmm. there are fighters planes but in that film uh, miyazaki is recognizing the uh, conflict like this but at the end of the day it remains about the person and his life through the through the uh, through the second world war essentially mm-hmm. right mm. so and and uh, i mean it's a very uh, swift balance that we have to maintain nolan has done it in his in his own way i'm not saying mm. he has not done it but in the hands of a lesser filmmaker it will be exactly mm. but that's the thing right a filmmaker can copy everything else from oppenheimer they'll not just doing that is not enough for them to imbibe nolan's skill mm-hmm. yeah yeah and right sure. and the ones who are going to copy they don't have skill anyway hmm. right so okay. it doesn't it doesn't amount to much ultimately <laughs> even if they copy it tomorrow 
I think that is a great blanket statement. To... Dal ke pool, <laughs> Barut ke that, pool. That is where we should stop at this point because I feel we. Uh, <laughs> I'm beyond exhausted. But yeah, any any other closing thoughts about the film that you guys thought? Anything else? No, I'm just thinking about what he's going to do next. <laughs> yeah. That's all I'm thinking about. Maybe he should do some romance, romantic drama. Comedy, dude. He does he's, good. He's anyway on jo- uh, David Lean trajectory, right? Making it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so he's oh probably going to do... Don't, oh God, <laughs> please, please, don't, don't, please don't. Please don't. Please don't. God, no. Please don't. No, I'll, I'll, be, stu- do I'll be smitten if Nolan does a brief encounter. Ah. I'll be smitten. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Yeah. I, I want Nolan to make something on the... I want him to do musical. Musical would be fun. Musical he, would be he, just. He needs subjects that, 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 that can have to be self serious. He cannot. The, the entire theater would be shaking. <laughs> musical. Yeah. He needs he to be very self serious with whatever he does. Simple. Mm-hmm. He cannot sure. make something he doesn't believe in properly. And I think he believes in something which, at least to him, is serious in quote unquote serious. So, I think I know. Yeah. I know that we are talking so much about this movie, and I think that is enough of a credit. Uh, but. I think it needs to be restated again. This is Nolan's best written work. It feels yeah. like after Tenet, he took a writing class and he took a, and he took a reading <laughs> class. He remembered how to write exposition and everything because uh-huh. the writing is leaps and bounds. Also the best he, he, went to, he went to Javed Sab and learned how to write dialogue. Yes. <laughs> also okay. the best ensemble. I feel like it has a great acting showcase. I mean, here and there, it's not like he acting is flawed in his films. But no, no, it's not flawless, but it's deeps and bounds. No, but in many places, I think actors outshone the characters themselves. I feel. I mean, not yeah, like yeah, yeah. so much, but as characters themselves, I feel. But um, yeah, I mean, it, that... it is very tricky to do that because a lot of scenes are actually in montage sequences. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that is the end statement and thank you. Uh, this is the end of the episode and I know it's a very jarring end because that's how I felt about the end. Uh, but yeah, I think this is the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow uh, all of these guys. The the profiles will be in the description. Please follow us. You can follow us on Queen's Network Film Podcast. You can follow all of these guys uh, on their respective socials on Letterboxd and Instagram. And Prithvij has one last statement. What, what? No, I just wanted to ask you which Nolan film had such a jarring conclusion. I don't know. Dare we say it? Do we? I think that's this. This episode is going to end. Like I don't know. At some point, it's time for uh, a new protagonist. Welcome to the afterlife. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War Three. Nuclear Holocaust. No. Something worse. All I have for you is a word. Tell it. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. You have to start looking at the world in a new way. Try to understand it. Feel it.